Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC event going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a woman's strawweight bout between Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos. And uh, better than last week, worse than last week, certainly a less notable main event, but... Uh, I would say it's it's no better than on par with last week's card with a worse main event. Yeah, it's a... It's a, it's a I mean, I don't want to. It's a good main event. Yeah, it's a good main event. The main event's fine. I will say, I like the co-main event, and I like the the rest of the round, the main card more in general. I mean, maybe not Sherman Parisian, but Dawson Madsen is a good fight. Magni or Magni Rodriguez uh, is a very good fight. You know, Uh, there's two ways you can go. I mean, uh, is uh, is Dawson Madsen an interesting fight? Yes. Yes. Is it Will going it, to be more fun to watch than something like Roundtree Jacoby? No. No. It's true. So, you know, yeah. I, 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 you know, uh, just resent all wrestlers and grapplers. So even when those matchups are more interesting, it's like it's it's like if a, if a relatively insignificant striking battle is worth three points, <laughs> then a slightly more significant wrestling match is worth like two and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're on par, but uh, I prefer one. Gotcha. That's just me. Your prejudices and deeply bigoted opinions aside, uh, yeah, it's a fun. It's it's okay. It's an okay card. Um, I'm not gonna have any huge problems with it. We got UFC 281 sneaking up right behind this, and that looks lit. Yeah, that looks awesome. So. Uh, let's dive, go ahead and dive into this main event, though. Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Lemos, and uh, honestly, a pretty quality top-tier strawweight battle. Yeah, it is. And um, yeah, as uh, as uh, me and uh, me and Phil were sort of uh, figuring out, this is essentially like one of these women is going to be women's strawweights Calvin Cater, mm-hmm. where they're like. They're maybe not all all as uh, skillful as they think. They're both powerful and aggressive and dangerous. Um, and I would say, you know, it, it's all relative because neither of them is even as close to as skillful as Calvin Cater. Um, but this essentially looks like a, yeah, who's the power gatekeeper Yeah, in this division? The gatekeeper to the elite that seems to be what this will sort out. Somebody and, uh, who might get a title shot at some point and get blown out of the water. Yeah, exactly. But be in a lot of other entertaining high-level fights in the division. Exactly. Um, and is, you know, for largely physical reasons, a very tough test that more or less proves whether or not you are an elite fighter if you can beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I say it's relative to Calvin, the actual Calvin Cater's level of technique because I got to say, watching footage... I was kind of struck by how not particularly good at striking both of these women are. There are major gaps. There are major gaps. Yeah. Um, Marina Rodriguez is a really very poor boxer. 
Uh, I don't think it ever struck me quite as much as watching that Yan Shaonan fight. And at the time, yeah. because it hadn't struck me as much, just because it hadn't been exposed um, or exploited, I watched that and I was like, wow, Yan Shaonan looks fantastic. She's making Marina Rodriguez look really clumsy and uh, sloppy. Mm-hmm. And now watching all of her other fights in that con- with the context of that, that's just how her boxing looks. Yeah. Um, Really? She she is hard nosed and driven, and she knows that she's not going to get hurt, so she can keep up a good pace and will just kind of chase people down and swing after them. Yeah, and she's less obvious about that than like Mackenzie Dern, so it gets you know a little hidden in that because you're like, oh, wow, she's throwing a lot of punches over this fight, and she's keeping on people, and that one looked like it stung, and you just kind of forgive the fact that a lot of them come from her arms and are done, like, her her footwork gets all, you know, she shifts her footwork a lot, and it gets tangled up as she goes. She's falling over half the time, and yeah, yeah that every single moment of any of these salvos, she is just begging to be brutally countered. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's tough. She doesn't mind being hit. She's powerful herself. Yep. And um, there's the added advantage that she has two pretty effective ranges on either side of the boxing range mm-hmm. in which she's better. Yeah. She's a dangerous kicker. Helps. I mean, and her, this is this helps her boxing, too. I mean, I think this is largely yeah. why she she is technically better than Mackenzie Dern. Yes. Which is also it, just twice Mackenzie Dern's size. It, is so she? it's just easier to get away with lunging in and chasing people when uh, you can hit them at a range where they can't yet hit you and you get them moving backwards and you get them to make errors. Mackenzie Dern, it's like yeah. it's just, yeah. her face flings itself into range. You can just nail her. And yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the, the having two ranges that also work for her is, I think, that too. size, size apart, it, it you know. You can you can you can disguise a lot of less than technical punching if you're kicking first. If you're if you're out there picking people off from range and having to guess what kicks are coming at them, yes. and then you swing a right hand at them, yeah, it's gonna be a lot. You know, it's a lot easier to catch somebody off guard. And then if two, if, if somebody has to worry, oh wow, if she steps into the clinch, she's gonna start nailing me with shots. Exactly. exactly. Then, yeah. It, it, there is there's a reason that that transition boxing period point that mid range doesn't stand out as a problem so much as it feels like it could when you see it isolated. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, she's got cushions on either side. One one yeah. is the kicks work especially well off the punches. So if mm-hmm. you are fearful of her reach and you withdraw every time she starts to engage, she will follow you with a kick. Mm-hmm. Good high kicks. Good, I mean, she kicks well to every target, and she has super long legs. And if you don't withdraw or you're cornered, she will crash into the clinch, um, yep. whether she wants to or not. I suspect yeah. it's, it's just baked in, like she lunges forward. And then in the clinch, she's actually pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Good collar ties. Um, she really seems to get how the sort of the balance of uh, movement and leverage creates openings in the top yeah. clinch in a way that a lot of fighters don't. She actively uses her collar ties to break the opponent's posture, to pull them off balance. She will yank them into knees. When they try to push off and break away, she will crack them with elbows. Um, yeah. Got a very Joanna Yinjechik-esque yes. clinch. 
without so many tools, but maybe also with just a touch more physicality than Joanna has yes. in the clinch that, you know, always made it so that she really had to bully you for like 15 minutes for to break most people inside. Yeah. And I think she's more powerful than Joanna too. Yeah. Those singular strikes are more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But there remains that, that sort of pinch point of the boxing range and the transition from kicking to clinch range where, um, in the early going here, she is going to be in serious trouble. Yeah. Because Lamush is very fast and considerably more powerful than Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Huge puncher for this weight. And a good target counter puncher, too. Somebody who, if you're stepping into, if you're stepping through that mid range and throwing something, she is watching exactly for what she can hit you with on the counter. Yes. I mean, especially just like a big right hand. It's never exactly right hand. Exactly what it, you know, exactly the right thing always seems to be the same punch, but you know, like it, it was the same punch all the time for Dan Henderson, too. That didn't make it any less effective. No, it's mostly the right hand, although she does have a left hook. Yeah. Um, and in the early going of her fights lately, Lamosh has been looking like an increasingly educated striker. Mm-hmm. She puts combinations out there. Is she overthrowing these combinations? Yes. Yeah. I recall an instance in the Michelle Watterson fight where she threw a one, two, three on the counter, full combination, good stuff. The left hook misses and she almost fell over Mm -hmm. because she's putting so much heat into these shots. Yeah. Um, But yeah, those openings are going to be there. The thing is that Marina Rodriguez, uh, despite lacking some of the crispness that Lemos displays, um, she has the, the element that really has made the actual Calvin Cater such an enduring presence at featherweight which is that she's super tough and she will just keep coming mm-hmm. at a certain point. If the individual techniques aren't doing it, she will try to just break you with pace and aggression. She yep. always builds, gets more aggressive over the course of a fight. And the problem with Lamosh's improvements is that they don't seem particularly permanent. Mm-hmm. Uh, in every one of these recent fights where she has actually been pushed by her opponent, like the Watterson fight is kind of null and void because Watterson just couldn't get to her. She's small and, um, you know, and got choked out quickly into the second round. Yeah. Um, and just has, she just has trouble with power. Watterson's always had trouble with yes. powerful fighters who can take a fight to her when she's getting into her range where she wants to mix it up. Yeah. It's always been a problem for her. Um, but Angela Hill and um, even Mizuki Inoue to an extent, just extending Lamush into the later rounds, she reverts to what I think are her base instincts, which is uh-huh. to really, really load up on single punches. Uh-huh. And she, you know, there's not enough like embedded connective tissue in her game to keep any of those new striking ideas in place when the like space and time for actually thinking things through goes out the window. And of course, she starts to tire. She yeah. has definitely proved that she can um, recover from getting tired and, and receiving pushback, or at least, you know, she'll stay there. She doesn't just crumble. Yeah, I think more, more and more what she's done uh, to, to handle that is that she tends to, like, take the second round off a little, yeah. where she'll just kind of take a step back. You know, you can look against Hill, and she landed like she, – or she threw 46 
significant strikes in the first round and 28 in the second and 40 in the third. Right. You know, so she basically needs a little recovery period. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure how many rounds or how many minutes you can safely take off against Rodriguez without just incurring a momentum shift. Yeah. That you can't recover from. Uh, because even though Lemos, she's a great athlete, she just has natural power. I imagine she retains, she must retain some of it later into the fight. She's undeniably at her most dangerous right at the start. Yeah. And if Rodriguez proves to herself that she can take the shots in the first round, there's going to be little Lemos can do, save knocking her down, um, to convince Rodriguez not to just continue building and accepting the idea that if she's going to get hit, at least she can dish out some damage in return. Yeah. So as far as the striking dynamic, which I think is where this fight will largely take place, although that remains a bit of a question, um, I have to favor Rodriguez to basically just pick up momentum down the stretch. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't get knocked out in the first, which more than in any other fight, she really might because <laughs> she is going to leap into some devastatingly hard and accurate shots. Yeah, I mean, I think you've covered the basics here, which, like, and, you know, you look at it, too, even just looking at at the numbers, which, you know, I know MMA stats are a poor bridge for anything, but you've got Lemos out there, like, landing 57% of her strikes over her UFC career. Like, she is a dangerously accurate puncher. And... uh you know, Rodriguez will be walking right onto that. But we've also seen several performances now where Rodriguez has built momentum continuously over the fight to the point that, you know, when the final round is coming, she's absolutely just out there pouring it on, you know? Yes. You look at those fights with Dern and she had, you know, an okay first round. She got swamped for the second round and then she's landing like, 45 strikes, 37 strikes, 37 strikes, all the way through to the last three rounds. Yeah. And against, uh, in her own fight with Michelle Watterson, once again, you know, starting in the 20s for her, you know, her her landed strikes and then ending up in the, you know, up in the 30s. And a very good pace fighter in that way. Yeah, there's she never a routinely throws somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 strikes per. Round. Yeah, and all we really have for Lemos for that kind of performance is a that fight against Mizuki Inoue, which is a fight that Inoue, you know, even still fought her way back into a bit. Yeah, and. Yeah, I just, you know, to date I haven't seen uh I haven't seen Rodriguez get knocked out. So, I'm willing to trust that Lemos won't be the first. She could be, but certainly could be. Certainly could be. She has several first round finishes on her record. It was good to see her get that guillotine on Michelle Watterson. That's mm-hmm. actually, you know, that's that's not a bad call too in this in that she if she has enough power to stun people um being able to jump on a submission sure 
off of that is good for her. And it's, you know. She also jumped on it against Angela Hill, and Hill just leapt out of her guard and yeah. got top position. Yeah. That's the other thing. Is like, it like all of her techniques, it's like one big powerful idea that might kill you. Yeah. Doesn't. Not entirely sure where we go from here. Things deteriorate really quickly. There's not like a Amanda Lemos top game that is just going to be oh, she's on top, she's going to absolutely wreck you. Or, oh, there's the Amanda Lamos ground get grappling game where she's going to be changed. No, like you say, there's one idea, and then it kind of falls off from there. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's possible that Lamos will, will, and even likely that she will come in here and look for some takedowns, especially mm-hmm. uh, if, as the fight sort of, as the dynamic resolves itself, I, I assume that Rodriguez is going to be spending more time coming forward. Mm-hmm. Um, just she has the output that is her approach she's got the reach she's going to be driving Lemush back sooner or later but I you know again in that Inouye fight that was Lemush hit the most takedowns of her UFC career in that fight didn't really lead to a ton of control time like you said there's there's the the initial idea and hopefully yeah. that finishes you sort of seems to be the 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 sum of Lamush's depth as not just a striker, but a fighter. So Yeah. And it also was worth noting, too, that for Rodriguez, she's really easy to take down early in fights when she is right. looking to build momentum and, you know, kind of feeling out the tempo and the rhythm of the fight. But the longer the fight goes on, she becomes much harder to take down. She right. tends to take away the right ideas from whatever takedowns she's seen to that point in a fight and start stuffing them. Yep. You know, even Carla Esparza, who absolutely ran over Yan Zhaonan, uh, ended up, you know, she got five takedowns in that fight and okay. Three of them came late. So maybe yeah. Carla Esparza. Makes three of them came late, but with less and less control time per take. Yeah. The fight Rodriguez was definitely. Yeah. Uh, ending up in better, more escapable positions, even when Esparza was still catching her off guard. And also, let's, you know, we've said this countless times. Esparza is the best wrestler in this division. Yeah, she is. Uh, Lemos has not demonstrated that at all. So it's, I think it was, it's a Calvillo fight I was getting confused on where Calvillo did like, oh, she even, she got a late takedown and a bunch of control time in that fight. So there is something to be said for. I, I just don't think there's a hole there. It's just yeah. is Lamosh poised to exploit it? No, because that is every every fight that Lamosh has lost has been to somebody who can out wrestle her consistently. Yeah, and or to, that Rodriguez has lost has been to somebody who can out wrestle her consistently, right. Right. and that's not Amanda Lamosh. Uh, my bad point about uh, late round takedowns aside. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think the dynamic here, it, it should be a fun fight. It'll be an interesting fight at, at both points because it's going to be violent. Yeah, you're going to have Lamos landing big early on while Rodriguez looks to pressure because it's not like Rodriguez is a slow starter. She's just not as effective early in fights. And then you're going to have Lamos flagging late and Rodriguez pouring it on and like those are both going to be really exciting dynamics mm-hmm. so should make for a fun battle and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it yeah for sure it's a good fight 
Odds on the bout. Lamosh opened at plus 130, jumped up to plus 176 over the last couple of weeks. And uh, Rodriguez opened at minus 116 and has dropped down to minus 220 over the past couple of weeks. So, yeah, as as more and more lines are opening and there's more action coming in on the fight, it's all coming Rodriguez's way. And I'm not really surprised about that. No, she just feels like more of a, a known quantity more a consistent uh, yeah more consistent results for better and for worse more consistent absolutely that brings us to our co-main event a welterweight bout neil magny daniel rodriguez and um this is an interesting it's a it's an interesting step up and reward for rodriguez coming off that Lijing leong fight where that was just a bad fight. Yeah. You can argue whether Rodriguez won it or not, but it was just a bad fight. And and neither guy looked very good. Neither guy looked very good. Rodriguez was especially out of shape. I'm a little surprised that uh, he was able to get right back down to welterweight so quickly and take another fight there. Because... I know he was recovering from like a hand injury or something before the Lijing Leong fight, but it wasn't like it was a short notice bout or anything. And well, in a sense, it was. Well, he okay, a, but he had a camp, but the he had a full was literally yeah. the day before. Yeah, but it, it he he had a full camp going into it. He he it, yeah. he wasn't booked for the fight on short notice. He should have been fitness wise in shape. Preparation, yeah. opponent specific preparations, another matter. Yeah, opponent fitness wise, he should have been in shape. And, and and a hand injury doesn't exactly prevent road work. Like, no, that shouldn't be the kind of injury that's like, oh wow, yeah, he got injured and, you know, had, he gained a bunch of weight because he couldn't get his cardio in and. Well, why did you think he looked out of shape? Because his best round was undeniably the third. He just was carrying an extra 20 or 30 pounds, like, very clearly. And did did they go up? A, remind me, did they go up a weight class for that booking? They did go up a weight class for that booking at Rodriguez's insistence. Oh, because right. Because he okay. couldn't make welterweight. Right. Yeah. So, cool. yeah, that's why I'm... You know, he may have, yeah, he may have had his cardio in shape, but it was Holland talked about it before the fight that they the the reason that the fight was up at 180 pounds was because Rodriguez said he couldn't make welterweight, and he looked like he wasn't in he, he even if he fought like he you know he fought well into the late into the fight he looked like he was carrying extra weight. Yes, he did. Um, so yeah, I'm a little surprised that he's just jumping right back in against Neil Magny at welterweight. That feels like it could be a really difficult, if the weight cut is difficult, Magny is not going to make that easy on him. Um, yeah. Beyond that, this is kind of, I mean, man, it, this is, it's all about how you fight Neil Magny and what he can pull out of you in terms of problems and in terms of uh, tactics yep. because 
Neil Mac. I mean, he he is the perfect welterweight top ten test. Absolutely, he is an IQ test and a physicality test. Yeah, there's a certain level of athlete that doesn't need the right ideas to just go out there and do violent things to Neil Magny. Yeah. But yeah, below that, and Rodriguez does not seem to be that level of athlete. Yeah. It's it's, it's like Neil Magny is, he's the man with the quicksand clinch. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's got this really long jab that absolutely frustrates the hell out of most opponents, even though there's not, and I, I don't want to like discount Magny as any kind of puncher. He certainly, if you just stand, if you're just frustrated by his jab and you just stand out there and take it, yeah, he can lat, he can land tricky shots behind it and build momentum behind it in a way that will end up with the opponents getting hurt. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly a jab that can be fought around. If yeah. you're confident about absorb, you know, if, if opponents are con- confident about absorbing the jab and looking to slip it and looking to counter it, Magni is he's pretty upright. There's not a lot of snap on it. It doesn't always have a lot of force to it. It is a punch to work around. And you know, we've seen even in like Magni's last fight against uh, Max Griffin, like. Griffin just sliding on his back foot and making Magni chase him and then planting and countering. He, he dropped Magni really hard early in that fight. Um, but yeah, most people don't want to hang out and jab with Magni. And then they, they get tangled up into the clinch with him. And that clinch is absolutely suffocating and draining. And if you give Magni, start giving Magni top control opportunities, he will suck every bit of life out of the fight. So that what seems like a pretty even neutral fight in the first round becomes a really exhausting slog that he's still pretty fresh for in the third round. Yeah. And of course, largely it is the annoying jab. Yeah. And I don't want to undersell this. Like, I I always like to to put this reminder out there. Fighting somebody who has a massive reach advantage is a horribly uncomfortable experience. They don't have to be hitting you super hard. I mean, even a maybe people who've not been punched um, fail to grasp that even just a touching jab, it still jars your head. You're being hit in the face. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't have to be a powerful punch to. To, to stun you for just a second and to make you think twice about eating it again. And that happening at a range where you, you literally just can't return fire. You have to move forward. You have to get around it somehow. Um, it's, a, it's extremely frustrating and demoralizing. And that is a big part of the reason that in the first round of Neil Magny's fights, 90% of the clinches are initiated by his opponents. Yeah. Like, it is yeah. actually staggering. It's like the John Jones effect. Like, it's staggering mm-hmm. how often Neil Magny is not actually forcing the clinch on anyone. Yeah, Bro- Robbie Lawler was shooting in on Neil Magny. Yeah. Everyone, they feel this powerful urge to tie up with Neil Magny, and then the quicksand effect is that Neil Magny's, he's big, he's not that strong. No. 
Um, and so you get in there and you're like, oh, I can actually like shift this guy around. I've got a ton of leverage. I'm underneath his arms. I can push him around. And then like he's just really difficult to fully control. And he's going to get over hooks. He's going to control your wrists. He's going to grab collar ties. He's going to be looking for double underhooks at all times. He's and not even going to get a little bit tired. If he's in control. All tired. Right. Yeah. And you do. So uh, then the clinches just get worse and worse. And then the striking becomes even more effective. Uh, yeah. Neil Magny is a huge IQ test for these <laughs> reasons. Like, And, of course, the other thing, too, is he's not very good off his back. No. If you it. can take Neil Magny down... He, he can absolutely just be run over on the ground. If you're a good wrestler and grappler, like Neil Mag- Magny's grappling, his top game is great, and his bottom game is pretty awful still. Yeah, just like um, if you, Neil Magny constantly corners himself too. He moves a lot, but yeah. not particularly well, still pretty ungainly. Mm-hmm. And if you push him back to the fence and... Like you, you can just nail him. You can run yeah. Neil Magny over in a lot of phases if you keep yourself like controlled. <laughs> and and that's that's the other thing is that even when fighters don't proactively look for the clinch, they tend to fall into it because they start with Magny's ass against the fence, but they're at Magny's range, and then they overcommit to try yeah. to connect and fall into him, and then the the process begins there as well. So all of this is to say, like, there is at least one fight out here that I think Daniel Rodriguez can win. Yeah. And that is to have, essentially, the Max Griffin fight, the first round of the Max Griffin fight for three rounds. He's a big puncher. He is a very busy striker. Very active. Boxing? Yeah. Very active Except for the the leech fight. He did yeah. boxing took a while to look like anything, but typically really accurate, active jab, mm-hmm. good footwork, stays balanced, good combinations, good great counter puncher. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of just depends on how much he trusts that he, that will work for him here, because. If he has second thoughts about it at all, Magni will probably drown him. Just pick him off with the jab. If he can make, if he can make Matt, uh, Rodriguez start initiating clinches, Rodriguez is not any kind of wrestler, not any kind of uh, grappler who's going to trouble Magni in that area. Not even really any kind of clinch fighter who is going to really be able to to force the wrong fight out of Magni yep. in that area. But if he just can stay on his own jab and just jab with Magni and answer back with the bigger shots off of his jab, like, you know, we, we have seen that Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. Yeah, we yeah. Have, you know, we've seen other we've seen the Lorenz Larkin fight. Like it's a very doable thing to just go out there and pop him and be there on the overhand and you know, start touching him up, hurting him. Yeah. 
Man. Yeah, I'm going to take no Magni. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Um, first of all, Rodriguez does not have any of the automatic factors in his favor. He doesn't have any of the things where I take, I look at him and I'm like, oh, you're going to be able to beat Neil Magny. You know, guys yeah. like Lorenz Larkin, super fast, super mm-hmm. fast. Go out there and just do something, and all the technical holes in Magny striking can just be exposed instantly in a way that he can't keep up with. Yeah. Um, neither is he as all-out aggressive as somebody like Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, mm-hmm. somebody who will just run you backwards on the end of the jab and just chew you up with whatever part of your body you leave behind. Um, in particular, Rodriguez is not fast. He's, his hands are reasonably quick, particularly his jab, because he throws it well and efficiently. It's quick in the way that a jab is supposed to be quick. Um, but he still doesn't have like screamingly fast hand speed, and he's quite slow on his feet. I think he's got decent footwork, but, you know, it's technically good. He's not quick. Is yeah. he relatively high output? Yes. In yeah, points. I mean, he's, he's seven. He, he, he throws like eight, almost eight strikes per minute or lands almost eight strikes per minute. It's insane the pace he keeps. Yeah, but these are all in fights where the opponent's range is essentially the same as his. Maddie mm-hmm. himself is an incredibly busy striker. Weirdly, less than half as much. Landed or thrown? Landed. Yeah, because he throws a lot more than he lands. Yeah, although the striking accuracy is the exact or is uh, the exact same. So interesting, or close to the same. Um, certainly, I've seen fights like the fight with Griffin, like, um, like Magny's fight with Jeff Neal. You know, who's maybe kind of similar to Rodriguez and Rodriguez in some of these ways, in troubling ways, yeah. like a a powerful straight punching southpaw who yeah. just like can't easily settle into his range and makes tactical errors as a result. And Magni, again, great footwork, no, lots of footwork, yes. Mm-hmm. He is going to be making Rodriguez move and reset often, and while that's happening, he's going to be trying to pop him with jabs pestering him and annoying him at a range where it's going to be more difficult than usual for Rodriguez to find his counters because he does tend to overswing on his counters yeah, um, already. And that's against people who, when they touch him, he knows they're in range. That's not the case with Neil Magny. And uh, neither does he have the anything like the level of wrestling or grappling you would need to successfully tie up with and beat Neil Magny uh, chest to chest. So I think it's more than possible for Rodriguez to fight a perfect fight here. Yeah. He's got the mechanics. He's got the output. He's, he's, you know, but, uh, you know, that has been true of a lot of the people. Neil Magni has beaten, including Li Jing Leon, mm-hmm. who Rodriguez, for a number of reasons, just struggled with. Li Jing Leong should honestly have all the ingredients to beat Neil Magni. He's a better athlete than Rodriguez. He's fast. He's powerful. He's aggressive. He got out there and realized how far away Neil Magny was and freaked out and started clinching. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to pick Neil Magny. I, I don't. I just have to see Rodriguez turn in the kind of performance necessary to beat him before I could pick him to do it. 
I think I'm going to pick Rodriguez. I'm going to go ahead and take the chance. I I came into this, I think, pretty prepared to pick Magny. And I think if Magny goes out and starts taking him down early, then it's it's a wrap. Oh, you know, the other thing, Tim Means took Rodriguez down with a body lock in like the first minute of their fight. Yeah. That's Magny's takedown. I mean, I, it, I just... Magny just seems to have options at his disposal. It's true. Rodriguez, Mike Perry did take him down a couple times, too. Rodriguez fights in a really narrow slice of MMA. He does. Um, I'm still going to take the chance. What the hell? Sure. I'll give take me, the chance. Give me a chance to catch up, Zane. I mean, for God's sake. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know Max Griffin is... Uh, himself probably a better wrestler um than than uh rodriguez but he's also a much less consistent and like uh technical puncher Mm -hmm. and like it there's just such an obvious opening there and rodriguez can fill that space he's also faster Griffin, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. I would love to see Rodriguez win, even though I, of course, I love Neil Magny. Yeah, I Rodriguez is like my favorite dark horse fighter in this division, but uh, he just doesn't have the again those like automatic pick ingredients. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Got a walk thin line to win this. I also do wonder if at some point, if we're starting to reach a point where Magny's style is just going to fall off more and more but he did just beat Jeff Neal so yeah and beating Jeff Neal is probably a more difficult proposition than beating uh, Daniel Rodriguez honestly yeah so I may be making a foolish pick here just do it you're already ahead on stats come on I'll do it anyway I'll take Rodriguez that's right all right, heavyweight bout, Chase Sherman, Josh Parisian, and, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I don't, this is one of those those fights where, like, the UFC has been, honestly, even with Dana White's contender series this year, even with the packing, the the content packing sawdust filler of MMA, <laughs> Uh, they have been cutting their roster back a lot. Mm-hmm. They uh, and it's not, to be fair to them, it's largely not guys that it's not the kind of thing where it's like, oh yeah, they got like, you know, a couple contender series guys and let go of like five seasoned veterans who should be there and deserve to be there more. Mm-hmm. Mostly they're mostly they're creating the churn at the bottom. Of just like, oh, last season's contender series guys didn't shake out. Here's a whole bunch of new ones. Yeah. And they're letting uh, their veterans retire as they need to or want to. Um, but they've cut their roster down a lot. I, I think mostly it, they had a huge amount of bloat for the COVID years where they signed. They were signing like five people a week just to fill in last second for fighters dropping out of fights. Yeah, getting sick, and they're course correcting on that to try to get back back to about six hundred, a roster of six hundred continuously, from a high of around six fifty. 
That said, I have no idea why this fight is on a UFC card. <laughs> These two are still here. I, you know what? I couldn't be happier for Chase Sherman's story. He got cut from the UFC. He went out. He won some fights. He had some real dark days in there. I want to see the man succeed. Uh, he came back. But, man, nothing just seems like it's clicking. And that Jared Vanderaw win, that was that was clawed from the brink by a thread. And it's the best performance that Chase Sherman has had in two years. Yes. That was the victory of a desperate man. Yeah. Um, that being and, said... Yeah, and, and that being said, Josh Parisian... It's just not much to speak about. Like, yeah, he's your real run of the mill heavyweight guy. He is a plugger. He is a dude that is surviving purely on toughness and grit and size. Yeah. And, and granted, he had his own. I mean, it's impressive his durability and his his mental fortitude. The way yeah. he recovered from and then came back to beat, um, uh, what's his name? The Black Samurai. The guy's name? Alan Bado. Alan Bado. Yeah. Um, you know, impressive, but uh, also he got into the trouble he got into because his striking is an absolute mess. The strength's a mess. He's slow, and Bado just went out there and teed off on him for. He started nailing him, and then literally what happened is Parisian. This slow-footed, large, heavy man thought it would be a really good idea to do a spinning elbow, which missed, was smothered because Baudot didn't even bother to back up, and then just got nailed by a shot he didn't see because his back was turned. Uh, yeah. Really cumbersome, clumsy striking. Yes. And Sherman's is also cumbersome and clumsy, but he's faster and yeah. much higher output. Yeah. And he, he, to his credit, because he has been going through... The, you you can watch Chase Sherman go through his mental breakdown in the cage. You can watch his struggles unfold in real time. You you know, he'll start out, he'll be like landing shots and looking fast and all that. And then he'll get hit and you can see the frustration and the worry. Yeah. Um, he still digs down and fights his way through it. Yeah. He doesn't fold quite, you know, he, he folded fast against Romanov and Collier because they took him down and got on top of him. Yeah. And that could happen against Parisian, but it's not really what, like, Collier and Romanov are way um, more skilled than Josh Parisian. Yes, and better athletes. And better athletes. Yeah, Parisian getting uh, Baudot down for the comeback is not the same thing as getting down. Yeah, Baudot, the average no, MMA no. fighter. I picked I picked Parisian in that fight because it's just like Baudot is going to go out there and hurt him really bad, and he's going to crumble. Like yeah. if he doesn't put this guy away inside a round, he will fall to pieces yeah. in a way that he can't recover from. That is that is the book on Alain Baudot. Um, against against Vandera, like you know, also against Parker Porter and Andre Arlovsky, like they are also just more skilled fighters, and 
Sherman had a war with both of them. He survived all three rounds. He went to the to the finish line. And against yeah. Vanderoff, he had a fighter a lot like Parisian in front of him. And he got plugged, he got tagged, he got hurt. He he let Vanderoff stick around in that fight. He went through all of his uncertainty and all that, and he battled back to get the finish. Like Sherman has not in a striking battle, even when he starts to doubt himself and even when he starts to hate the fight he's in, Sherman sticks it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of the only fight that I would trust Parisian to have. Yeah. A mess. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like we're both worryingly leaning in the direction of picking Chase Sherman. Yep. Yeah, I got to pick him. He's just too much faster than Josh Parisian, but he will absolutely get hit by the slowest overhand right in the world. 100%. He has zero defense. Yeah, and it will not just ring his bell, but it will make him question every bit of his desire to be in this fight. Yeah, and Chase Sherman, not just zero defense, but like zero awareness of the need for defense. Like, yeah. It's the kind of thing where every time Chase Sherman wants to punch, if the opponent's up for it, it's going to be an exchange. Yeah, there's it no, is. A, there's for no a initiation of a of a clean punch that Chase Sherman like gets away with. For a guy who has spent as much time as he has working, just particularly on his boxing, yeah, he really does not seem to have any sense of what. Any kind of boxing, (laughs) like what, what defensively has to happen for him to be a boxer? Yeah, it really, it's amazing. Like I say, the Vanderaw fight, like he's three times faster than Vanderaw, and Vanderaw just being, to his credit, as a one punch at a time striker, Vanderaw just being being willing to punch whatever target was presented to him. Just absolutely cracked Sherman over and over again. Yep. And then went out and got like run over by, you know, Waldo Cortez Acosta as well. Yeah. I'll take Parisian. Well, but, I uh, say run over, but yeah, I say run over. Okay. Speaking of new heavyweights off the contender series, there's another miss. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> another, I shouldn't possibly. say one of I didn't actually watch the fight. He just got, he lost, but whatever. He, yeah, he barely lost and he chewed up uh, Acosta Cortez's leg with a billion low kicks. And then Costa, Acosta Cortez spent the last 45 seconds of a fight he was questionably winning, taunting and showboating. It was terrible, Sam. You're like, you didn't watch it. I'm going to actually watch it later, but... <laughs> it's a depressed discontender, I'll tell you that much. All right. It's certainly anyway, is. I'll take Sherman, and I'll yeah, feel bad. Um, odds on the bout here. Chase Sherman opened at plus 125, down at minus 130. Josh Parisian opened at minus 145, currently up at plus 106. Yeah, don't... Don't no, bet on this. Don't do it. Don't bet on Chase Sherman. Don't bet on Josh Parisian. This is not. This is not that fight. Yeah. All right. Flyweight battle: Tajir Ulanbakov, Nate Manis. Uh, 
Um, the big question for me here really just comes down to how much Umar Nurmagomedov does Tajiru Lanbakov have in him? Mm-hmm. Because their basic, uh, the, the basic styles that they're working on mm-hmm. aren't dissimilar. You know, there's a lot of range kicking. There is a uh, healthy dose of wrestling behind it and top control grappling. Um, it's just that Umar Nurmagomedov is a sharper boxer and a more technical athletic wrestler and just a better athlete in general and stronger. Yeah, he's... But, um, he's Ulambakov has going for him the fact that he's a little bigger than Nurmagomedov, just a little. Is he? And I, yeah, I think he's like an inch taller, inch more reach, maybe. Nurmagomedov's up a division, but I might be wrong. Uh, um, Nurmagomedov is two inches taller and uh, has one inch less reach. Okay. Um, so functionally the same size. Functionally the same size. Um, and I I think, actually, you could argue Olambikov is the more technical boxer. Like, his, his, his game functions the way a boxing game is supposed to. He really builds off mm-hmm. of his jab, um, does a good job lining up his right hand, finds some angles off of his jab. Yeah, I think it's he probably just it. that he's slower. He's slower. That's yeah. the main thing. He's slower. I mean, I like the fact yeah. he doesn't do as many stupid acrobatic things as Nurmagomedov. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the fact is Nurmagomedov can get away with all the stupid acrobatic things because he's a good athlete. Yeah. Because the problem for Nate Manis that was so easily exposed in the uh, Nurmagomedov fight and that I've been waiting for to see, you know, I, I kind of going back and watching tape for that fight. I was like, oh, wow. Um this is a huge problem, and I don't think Nate Manis is at all prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Problem is, is that Nate Manis doesn't have a range striking game, yeah, at all. He has a lunging striking game. <laughs> he has a lunging striking game, yeah, but he is entirely prepared only to fight somebody in the pocket, yeah, and then wrestle with them after. And there is nothing out at range. That is a blank slate for him, and he's never really had to contend with it. Mostly because when he has had fighters who would try to fight him at range, maybe even a little, like Jesse Arnett, um, they've been fighters that he could really easily walk in on and control inside. Mm-hmm. And then when he's had guys that can fight with him inside, like Luke Sanders or Tony Gravely, they don't have anything to offer him at range either. So he could just step out and be safe. There was no fight that happened out there. Mm-hmm. It was just, okay, we're going to have even exchanges on the inside where my toughness and willingness to sit down on punches is going to rise, you know, come through and be the deciding factor here. Or we're going to have no fight out at range. Yeah. He is a brawler. Yeah. And he's a pretty decent one. Like, he is really, really tough. And he has surprising hand speed. Mm -hmm. So you can go out and you can step in and catch him with stuff over and over again. 
and start feeling confident like oh man i'm really cracking this guy and he especially the like one of his best traits is how clear-eyed he stays mm-hmm. when he's getting hurt when the, he is brawling in the pocket he is very clear-eyed about what is coming at him and what he can land in return and you know that was the turning point against sanders and gravely they were both fights that he was losing and he just flipped because they they were not comfortable they could not stay comfortable waiting in and having the exchanges that he was fine to have but nurmagomedov or namagomedov didn't have to have any of those exchanges at all yeah just stayed away from him and picked him apart and that was it so yeah the He's dropping down in division now, but he's running right into the exact same problem. And it's somebody who's a little slower and maybe a little less powerful, but is exactly prepared to offer him the same problems. Mm-hmm. I think I have to take Tajiru Lanbakov mm-hmm. in that fight. Like, the gap there is too wide. It was obvious going into the Nurmagomedov fight, and there was no plan for it. And the plan he, he seems to worryingly have taken away from that is to drop down to flyweight. Yeah. Where his surprising speed and vision in the pocket is going to mean less because guys are going to be faster and they're going to be better at staying away from him. Yeah, he's going to be a pretty big flyweight. He is. Um, but yeah, but is is that the thing that he needs to? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it, it wasn't the deciding factor against Gravely or Luke Sanders. You know, he was a totally fine bantamweight in that regard. And because, like, the the thing about being a big flyweight is to be a rangy flyweight. You know, is to go out there and be Sergio Pettis, be the longest reaching fly, be the one flyweight out there who uses a jab. That's, you know, Brandon Moreno has made that his calling card. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not Manis. And Ulanbakov is, you know, he's longer than Umar Nurmagomedov was, at least in reach. Mm -hmm. So... If that was such a trouble, you know, and, and Manis had a three-inch reach advantage against Nurmagomedov in that fight mm-hmm. and couldn't couldn't make it count for anything. So if that's going to be the trouble there, I just think it's going to be the trouble here too. And I don't think that, despite uh, Ulanbakov, you know, his other big problem is that he's, he is a he is a capable if he has a little wrestling advantage and a little grappling advantage, he can turn that into a big wrestling advantage and a big grappling advantage. Yeah. But if either of those are a hair behind, if he is not the better wrestler or not the better grappler, he can also be entirely taken out of the fight that way. Like Alan Nascimento was a huge problem for him on the ground because he was just a better grappler. And Ulanbakov, and yeah, I mean, Timelia beat him. But I'm just saying, even somebody he could take down at will in Nascimento was a big problem because he couldn't outgrapple him once he got there. And for Tim Elliott, somebody he could, you know, maybe tangle with and grapple with a bit could just take him down at will. And Mm -hmm. 
make that a huge problem. But yeah, so maybe that's a that's a pathway for Manus. I mean, yeah, it could um, be if he's he is going to be bigger and uh, he, he is going he can to crash into a lump yeah. dog and might just be able to overpower him. But, but I don't trust Manus's his, his his wrestling game is not like it's not des- he he wants to hurt people too much. Yeah. His wrestling game isn't designed for any control. He's had like less than a minute of control off of uh okay, he had 1 minute and he, he had more than a minute. He's had less than 2 minutes of control out of four fights off of four takedowns. Mhm. Like he he's out there trying to hurt people. He doesn't want to just be on top. Yeah, and right. so often the case. I think the wrestling is like incidental. Yeah, the wrestling is the thing that happens after you mush into somebody you were just trying to murder with your hands. Yeah, and I think for Tajir Lombakov, that is something he can handle. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same way. I'm, I mean, I guess I'm curious. Manus might appear very powerful. Yeah. Uh, both. I mean, he's already a hard puncher. Yep. He might appear very powerful in tie-ups, which are bound to happen sometimes. But I also think he is likely to appear slow compared to his previous fights and is also likely going to be like standing up too tall and just eating lots of jabs. Yeah. I mean, I just a five foot ten flyweight who's not known for his range striking ability. Yeah. It it just spells trouble to me. Yeah. And it's perfectly possible I mean, you know, if you need to watch Volkanovsky to figure this out, like it can happen at a lower level. There are shorter fighters who are better at fighting long than tall fighters. Yes. You know, like just having the reach advantage, you still got to have the game to put it to use. And in this fight, Ulambikov is the range fighter. We we have seen, you know, Scott Askham. Yes. And Stefan Struve. And uh, look at Magnus Seidenblad, and oh, I forgot about Magnus. Like there, there have been more. There are fewer tall fighters who fight long out there than there are tall, tall fighters who fight short. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. Yeah, and 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 enough short guys who do the opposite. Guys like John McDessie and Volkanovski, and even less yeah. technical fighters than them who just you know rely on their jabs because yeah. Because they need to, they need to stay away from people. Like yeah. a lot of what tall, big fighters do is they think, "Well, I'm big. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cling on to you. I'm gonna lay on you. I'm gonna suck you down into a fight where my size and strength can play the difference." Yeah. And yeah, so I don't, I don't trust Manus to have a range game before yet. And Lumbakov does. He's a he can put out the kind of same kind of kicking and striking output from a distance that Nurmagomedov used to make Manus really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, all right, uh, that brings us to a. What about the odds? Oh yeah, the odds, the odds. Damn it, I'm all over. I've only place. been doing this for like six years. I know. My brain's just scattered today. Lombikov opened to minus 180, currently minus 179. Or no, went up, moved up and down to minus 179, is currently now down at minus 220. Uh, it's pretty wide odds for Lombikov. Manus opened to plus 155, jumped up and down 
right back to plus 155, was down about plus 146, and has risen lately up to plus 176. Yeah, I get it. I just, I don't think flyweight makes sense for Manus. And it's a really bad vibe that that's the move he made after losing to Nurmagomedov. Yeah. You know, all the reasons there are against fighters making the decision to move down a weight class, flyweight is not the division to test that theory in, right? Like, yeah, all the things that make it questionable to move down in weight, the flyweight is the end of the line. They're the fastest fighters. They're the fighters who do not get tired. Like, you're just... The chances of you just looking clumsy and slow are higher there than anywhere else. Yeah, and like the only the, the people you see who move down to flyweight really well are the guys who are five six and fighting at bantamweight and right. extreme power sluggers. Yeah, and then they drop down to flyweight, and it's just like, okay, yeah, this is where you you the little ball of energy was really meant to shine. The John Dodsons, the Demetrius Johnsons, you know. Although, not that Johnson was a power slugger, but still, a complete ball of energy, you know. Those are your your great bantamweight, flyweight transitions. Your uh, Louis Smolkas of the world are far less suited, tend to to be far less suited. And even himself is clearly better at bantamweight than he was at flyweight. Yeah, and at, at flyweight, the big thing Smolka had for him that worked was a, ki- a range kicking game to use his length, and that's not something Manus has. He's got that wide saddle stance that, mm-hmm. you know, is entirely built for power punching. Yep. So. Got to ride with Ulambikov. Yep. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Grant Dawson, Mark Madsen. And, um, Interesting fight. Yeah, this is an incredibly hard fight to pick. It is, yeah. They both fall into a lot of the same uh, stylistic quagmires dependent on their opponents. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're both guys who can get stuck boxing and look really suspect Mm -hmm. standing. And they're both guys who can get on top of people and tend to just grind and not get a lot of functional offense done. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just feels like either one of them getting pulled out of their fight in just the right way could totally ruin them. And And we've seen it for Dawson against... Rick Glenn just being tough and willing to stick in and like brawl your way back into the fight as your opponent flags. And then, you know, for Madsen, like he clung on to those wins against Clay Guida and Austin Hubbard. Yeah. So we've seen them come, both of them, to the cusp of having these styles entirely detonate. He didn't exactly run away with a, the win over Vince Bichel either. I mean, there's yeah. been a lot. Every one of Mark Madsen's UFC fights basically has been a pretty close call. Yeah. And, and then the final similarity is that Grant Dawson looks like he's 50 years old and Mark Madsen is 50 years old. So. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a tough one. Madsen Grant is Dawson clearly... actually look, Grant Dawson looks like an old baby. <laughs> 
<laughs> like if you aged a 12 year old somehow yeah yeah, yeah. Ben- benjamin button style yeah yeah um <laughs> sorry so first mark madsen just looks like a baby <laughs> really <laughs> just a smooth baby versus a wrinkly baby <laughs> um one of whom is nearly 40 yeah, it, it's Madsen has clearly been investing in his boxing mm-hmm. and his kickboxing. I mean, a big part of his approach to Pichel were the low kicks. Yep. He's developed a jab. Mm-hmm. He's developed some modicum of evasive footwork. None of these things have a really scream like depth or. Uh, They're very stiff. He is a, still yes. a very. It, this is just a thing with wrestlers that we oh, see yes. all the time when they transition to MMA. And a certain type of wrestler, too. You know, like I, I, we brought up Dan Henderson earlier. Um, yeah. It was a thing with Dan Henderson, too, where there is just a, an innate stiffness that seems like it will never go away. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's just and, and Madsen has that. I mean, he's he's certainly developed made some big strides but he's not fluid and what he especially seems to lack is the fluidity between his striking and his wrestling i mean that is yeah wrestling is ostensibly the thing that madsen should be best at Mm -hmm. and the transitions to his wrestling are really obvious and it it has therefore made like what should be vastly less credentialed should be vastly inferior wrestlers capable of just sniffing out his shots before they get close and shutting them down. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then defensively as well, it hasn't been tested all that much, but like Vince Pichel just ran in and grabbed a single leg and ran Madsen off his feet. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's that, that, is, that is the funny thing for both. When you're talking about the similarities, uh-huh. Madsen and Dawson both, they can both be surprised and taken down by yes. much less credentialed wrestlers who are just willing to go after it, which makes this fight that much more interesting because both of them will go after it. But I think the reasons for that dynamic are a little different for the two of them. Yeah. For Dawson, it's because all he's thinking about is taking people down. Yeah. he's That's the classic, like, uh, defensively lacking wrestler thing in MMA. Mm-hmm. Is like, he's just rushing forward. He's He's thinking about connecting with his opponent and can be surprised when they connect with him first. Yeah, he's uh, Dawson has got he he's more on the Ben Askren side of things, right? Yeah, Ben Askren and Colby Covington and all these other yeah. quality wrestlers who do just get taken down easily sometimes. Madsen, it seems to be that aforementioned disconnect between the striking he's trying to learn, um, and the wrestling game that it has no connection to. <laughs> There's 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 just a gap there where it, rather than thinking entirely of wrestling offense, he's thinking of all the various aspects of striking yeah. and not wrestling at all. Yeah. And for that reason, I come into this kind of leaning Grant Dawson because um, I think Dawson has a much clearer idea of what he wants to do to get his fight. Yep. Which is to crash forward and connect with the opponent and grab their legs and haul them off their feet. And... um. There's uh, there's another big thing here that I think makes it easier to pick Dawson for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to Matt's uh, the fun. I mean, the thing 
Okay. First of all, the thing that makes it easier to pick Dawson, or I could distract myself. Uh-huh. He has a plan for what to do when the fight hits the ground. Yes. Madsen is, when the fight hits the ground, he is firmly in blanket mode. Like, I do not want to let you up, yes. so I'd better not try anything, to, to try too much, or risk letting you up. Dawson is on the track of, I don't want to let you up, but I'm going to grapple the hell out of you. Yeah. He's got wrestler's jujitsu. He will get yeah. the riding positions and he will. He, he transitions threaten. to the back. Yeah. From he will any if position. not chase submissions and he will fill all the spaces with little annoying damaging strikes. Yeah. And so he's all about locking down positions with grappling to keep you sucked into the scramble. And Madsen is very much about like, well, I'm in top half. I'm in top half guard. I'm just going to lay here. And if you start to shrimp and kick off, I'm probably just going to let you up. You know, like Vince Michelle, he got him down easily. And Michelle would just kind of kick off and Madsen would jump on a front headlock. And you're like, oh, wow, that's a good position to chase like a Darth or an Anaconda. But he's so tracked into at that point just the basics of like his wrestling game that there's he's he, there's no even threat to chase a sub there. He's just trying to hold Pichelle down from that headlock, and Pichelle just stood up. Right. So, so I the thing uh, as close as it feels, I do kind of the only way I feel I can lean is toward Grant Dawson. The, the thing I will say. Uh-huh. is if both of them come in ready to stifle their opponent's wrestling game, if they both come in well-prepared knowing my opponent loves to wrestle, I am not going to get out-wrestled, and they stuff shots, mm-hmm. and they're thoughtful about that, and this is a pure striking game, mm-hmm. Dawson is a lot more fluid and busy but, but technically much worse. Technically much worse. Yes. Hangs his chin out a ton defensively, and Madsen hits a lot harder. Yeah. So it becomes a much weirder fight uh-huh. where you're looking at Dawson filling more space with front kicks and with slapping, pawing Ben Askreny jabs and Colby Covington-y kind of offense. And Mark Madsen just being willing to sit down on a huge overhand that if he if he can time it and if he can fight his way through Dawson's uh, output could absolutely be a huge decider. So I'm picking Grant Dawson for his busyness and for his scrambling ability. Um, but. Yeah, it's a weird fight. I'm, it's the perfect fight for both of them. Like, they both need yeah. a step up like this to see, does your game survive against somebody that you can't easily out-wrestle? Mm-hmm. So, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm taking Dawson, though. I, I have to assume, Dawson being who he is, that he is going to try to wrestle no matter yeah. what. If he goes in there trusting in Madsen's reputation alone and thinks he has to um, he has to apply the other areas of his game because again, like the assumption is just that Madsen will be able to deal with the wrestling. 
I think he's quite likely to lose a a somewhat tepid striking match where he yeah. takes the harder, cleaner shots. But yeah, uh, I really don't think there's any reason not to go out there and try to like hardly anybody has even tried it. And when they have, they've gotten takedowns on Madsen. Yeah, and even if even if he if Madsen takes him down, if Dawson just scrambles and yeah, just keep the gets the back takes and things like that, yeah. like and we've seen how hard even Madsen's own wrestling game can exhaust him if he has to scramble really hard. Yeah, and obviously that's a problem for Dawson as well. But Dawson's just more reliable to stay on his game after he yeah. gasses, and it's yeah. also the kind of exchanges you might expect are like. You described in the in Madsen's fight with Pichel, you know, gets a takedown. Uh, Pichel shrimps into a front headlock. You know, what happens if the guy doesn't just want to stand up, but you go for the front headlock and he's grabbing your legs again? And... In fact, Pichel in that situation, he shrimped, he got headlocked, and then he slipped out the headlock and grabbed a body lock and then yeah. shot in as they stood and Madsen had to defend the takedown. He did, but... It was, you know, if if you know, if Dawson can just stay with that kind of stuff and do it all the time, yeah, it seems like a really good opportunity for him. Yeah, all right, Dawson will be well served to have the most Grant Dawson fight he possibly. Can. Yep. Dawson opened at minus one fifty, dropped to minus two ten. Is currently minus two twenty six. Madsen opened at plus one thirty, jumped up to plus one eighty, and is currently plus one eighty one. And I honestly think that that'll be a pretty entertaining. Like if I see. You know, two good, two good wrestlers and grapplers who really go out and go after their games. I enjoy that fight. Just, yeah, you know, I enjoy that kind of matchup a lot. Sure, if it's back and forth enough, yeah, those yeah. odds sound fine to me too. Anyway, on that note, you can, we're going to wrap this up. You can find me at, on Twitter at these Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe, subscribe to our podcast on BloodyElbow.com on. Uh, or subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Over Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And uh, we will be back in one week's time for UFC 281 Adesanya versus Pereira. And as always, the MMA section is brought to you by The Fine Art of Violence, which is by Chris Rini. You can find that over at chrisrini.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog and as always on bloodyelbow.com